You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Lawton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Uh, joined once again this week by Dylan Terriman because Alex is, as I said, on IR for a couple of weeks. We expect him back sometime soon once he gets his work situation straightened out. <clears throat> um, Dylan, you know what? I feel like I feel like we're doing a show, um, or like we've been doing a show every week about a house that's on fire. And now all we have left to do is talk about the ashes. Like, I mean, the season is done. The season was done weeks ago. This is just going to get uglier and uglier and uglier, as hard as that is to imagine. But the Jets have games coming up. I I don't even want to – I don't even – Buffalo is next. Who cares? They're going to lose that by 25, 30, whatever. Uh, But this Kansas City game in a couple weeks, man, um, that's wild. We'll, We'll touch on that. Uh, but it's just the Jets go down to Miami. Adam Gase's old stomping grounds get their doors blown off, twenty-four nothing. As far as I'm concerned, Miami took it easy on the Jets in the second half. Adam Gase was, uh, you know, proud peacock that they only held Miami. They held Miami to three in the second half. I don't think Miami gave a damn. They weren't being aggressive. They were taking it easy on the Jets. They let them off easy. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Dylan? Do you think, do you think Adam Gase should be uh, as as happy as he is about the the team, get, you know, almost pitching a shutout in the second half and a 24 point loss? I think letting up three points in the second half to the Dolphins when they were barely trying is the equivalent of Frank Gore saying that if you watched us in practice, you wouldn't think that we're an 0 and 5 or an 0 and 6 football team. I think it's just hollow words at this point. He's trying to find some narrative that'll stick, whether it's in the media or with some of these gullible fans maybe. But at this point, there's no secret. This team is on a path to disaster, worse than the Lions, worse than the Browns that were 0-16. Um, nothing, nothing about it is inspiring. But, no, I thought Miami should have scored over 30 points on us. And they should have played Tua earlier, I feel like, if they were going to name him the starter. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, and speaking of the Frank Gore thing, did you hear that comment that we need to start, we, we can't decide we want to start playing in the fourth quarter? Like, is he under some type of illusion that the, that the Jets have played well in the fourth quarter this year? Is, is he referring to the fact that they've scored, that uh, several of their, many of their six touchdowns have come in garbage time? Like, I heard that and I thought, is there any does anyone right now believe there is anything at any point in the game related to playing football that the Jets are doing well? I mean, I heard that. I just thought you're really, you're really reaching here, Frank. Like, are you here to imply that the Jets are playing quality football in the fourth quarter this year? And uh, I mean, Jesus, it might feel that way because you're down by 35 every week and the other team takes their foot off the gas. That's why it might feel like you guys are playing a little better in the fourth quarter. But give me a break. I mean, geez. I mean, listen, 
Adam Gase, I actually, I actually like what he did in this game in one sense, but because it's Adam Gase, it's idiotic in another. Um, this team is in no position to use the run to set up the pass. I mean, as much as we get on the fact that Frank Gore isn't productive in the running game, I mean, other teams have no respect for the quarterbacks or the receivers on this, on this roster, and the running backs are consistently facing seven, eight, nine-man boxes. And they're just time after time after time. When I go back and watch the All-22, I just see the defense has the numbers. Run play, there's two, more, there's two more guys chasing the ball carrier than there are guys blocking for the ball carrier. It's just a numbers game. You're not going to get the running game going that way. And until you hit on some deep shots down the field, teams are going to keep doing it. So what does Adam Gase do this week? He comes out and tries to take some deep shots down the field, which that I get it. But you wait till you – this is probably the best corner tandem they faced this year. And this is when he does it. He comes out, Byron Joe, Xavier Howard on the other side, and, and he tries to throw deep against these guys and the O-line. The, the blocking wasn't very good once again, especially early on. Um, Joe Flacco trying to make throws under duress. And it was just – it was ugly from the get-go. You know, one of the very few positives coming out of that game. I don't know what you thought, uh, Dylan. But Rashad Perriman, uh, not huge numbers, but we saw him get open deep down the field against some quality corners. Yeah, I haven't um, exactly gone back and done a full rewatch yet, but just going over the first few drives alone, and you see that Brashad Perriman actually beat Byron Jones twice off the line of scrimmage, and the first pass from Joe Flacco was a little overthrown, and it yeah. looked like he might have uh, come back to it a little earlier than he should have, but then the, the second one was just a forced pass by Flacco that was underthrown, but both times he had Byron Jones beat, and I actually had him written down as one of my few uh, bright spots um, in the game uh, coming back from injury. So I thought he did fairly well. I mean, four catches for 62, but the one was – or uh, yeah, 62, but the one was a, uh, a screen pass for about a yard. So I think the other catches were 18, 20, and 22 yards. So, I mean – he was getting open on across the field really well, but uh, yeah, yeah, he Joe was Flacco open. Definitely missed him. I want to say, I want to say, I forget exactly when. Uh, fourth in the fourth quarter again, at not long after the Marcus May interception, which may end up being the best play of the year for this team. Um, not long after the May interception, Flacco overthrew Perryman deep down the right sideline again, going the other direction. Um, he wasn't as open. The the DB, I forget, I forget which corner it was. Howard or Jones, they were they were stride for stride with him, but he had he had there was enough room there, and given Perriman's speed, I think if the ball was thrown better, he kicks up that last gear, and I I think he he had a shot at another big play there, so that that may yeah. have been the most encouraging thing of the day. Is that Perriman was getting behind the defense, mm-hmm. and now we're hearing that Denzel Mims might be ready to make his debut uh, this Sunday against Buffalo, and. That, um, you know, if Darnold comes back, if Darnold's healthy, I'll tell you what, if you have Darnold and Becton and Perriman's getting behind DBs like that, um, there might be some remotely somewhat kind of entertaining football to watch um, from this point forward. I I had it written down that the pressure on that second pass, uh, on that first third down that the Jets had on the first drive, that uh, the pressure came from the left-hand side from Fant and Lewis, but – and I had more confidence that 
you know, any quarterback, whether it was Flacco or Darnold, would have had more time back there. And I thought that if Darnold was in, one of those passes could have went for 50-plus yards, maybe even a touchdown. So, it's yeah. some things are encouraging if we can get back to full strength. But um, I was calling for it during the game. I was tweeting it out multiple times that they just needed to put Flacco on the bench, try Mike White out. I mean, nothing I know. It, 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 what, what's the point? It, at that point, what, what – <clears throat> What do you gain by keeping Joe Flacco in a 24 nothing game, 21 nothing game, whatever, in the third, fourth quarter of a game where, you know, you're down 24 in the third and you're attempting a field goal? You're, you're not yeah. trying to win the game. No, obviously. you're still down three touchdowns, even yeah. if you convert the field goal from 55 exactly. yards. I mean, just thickens exactly. first miss of the season, and it was inexcusable because I should have just went for it anyway. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know – Again, more of Adam Gase being Adam Gase. But the uh, the, the Perriman stuff was encouraging. Um, it was it was very discouraging to see that Chris Herndon didn't see a single target. My, you know, I'm, nope. I'm still, as I've said a few times, um, he's at a bad stretch, no doubt. But I don't think you give up on a guy who's that young, who has that much potential. And to have him roll out there for 40-plus snaps, 40 however many snaps, and not throwing one pass is, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like when you're the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL, try something new. Um, and by try something yeah. new, I mean, you know, don't target your tight end three times with two of them being behind the line of scrimmage and one of them being, you know, uh, a 12 yarder. Like let the guy run up the seam and try to make some plays. But I, I, honestly, I, I should, I'm just tired of saying that. This, this is what I mean. We're exactly. talking about the ashes, you know, the season's over. Yep. We've said everything we can say about the team. The, the the coach is terrible. Yes, there might be some young guys coming back. I would love to see Jabari Zuniga get some reps if, you know, if he can get healthy. You know, that he was supposedly, you know, a couple of weeks ago they said he was he was going to be ready soon, but mm-hmm. haven't heard anything on him. But speaking of defensive linemen, um I thought it was a really good showing for Quinn and Williams. I thought he had himself a nice game. Um, as we know, Ryan Fitzpatrick does a very good job of getting rid of the ball in a hurry, so we didn't see a lot in terms of pressure. There were some pass plays where we got quick penetration, but they were they were quick hitters, so the O-line isn't being asked to block them for two, three, four, five seconds. It's just, uh, you know, we're talking uh, – I wanted to – this reminds me of what I was going to say. It's, it's A lot of it is screen passes. Why is it for the past 15 years the Jets look like a complete disaster when they try to throw a screen pass? Every other team in the NFL – Every single damn week I watch, I see teams getting big chunk plays in big spots off the screen pass. The Jets can't do it. Mm-hmm. They never do it. Nope. It's one yard, two yards. Like, they're the only yeah, team I... that consistently – the receiver is out there, and he's got, you know, two blockers and four defenders. And it just happens again and again. I, I take that back. We saw some success with it with Chan Gailey, who, of course, did a good job with it this week with Miami. Um, but other right, than that, exactly. I've been saying for years – and it's, what's so infuriating is the number of times as a Jets fan, we've had to watch the, the, the damn Patriots convert 103rd downs on 3rd and 2, 3rd and 3, 3rd and 4, 3rd and 11 off the screen pass. And the Jets, one yard, two yards, you know, they pop on occasion. Of course, Jameson Crowder popped one earlier this year. But it's just, I would, I'd love to see the numbers on that. I, I, I would venture to guess a, a jet screen pass gets five yards or less and, you know, and fails to get the first down probably 80, 90% of the time. At least it feels that oh, way. Yeah. Maybe, it, maybe it's, it's definitely not quite another that category we, we are bringing up the, the, the rear end of the league in as far as 
success on screenplays because you're right. It's only one, two, three yards at the most. Sure, that crowd, uh, Crowder in week one sprung it for 70 yards, but it's just it's, it's the simple things that we can't even do right. So, I mean, we see it on the field week in and week out. If you can't execute the little things, there's no way you're going to be able to execute those types of screenplays that are, I guess, more uh, high, I guess, higher difficulty plays on some degree, whether it's the blockers getting out in space and missing their assignments. But it's just you see all the other teams in the league trying them at least. I think we tried maybe two or three and very unsuccessful. So, And, and the other thing that I'm, I'm curious to look at when I watched the All-22, I don't know when it came available. I checked about 20 minutes ago and it is available but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Uh, I've been working a ton of overnight, so I haven't had a chance this week, you know, over the last 24 hours to look and see if it was up. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, one thing that jumped out to me last week when I watched the All-22 and again in a couple of plays on the live broadcast that I was able to see, for an offensive genius, Adam Gase does a lot of, like, sending a bunch of guys to the same spot on the field or having a bunch of guys run the same exact depth in their routes short of the first down marker. Um, not, not, you know, I can't, I'm trying to think of who it was. It may have been Sean McVay or I, I can't remember who young respected, you know, offensive coach. And I've, you know, I've always been a fan of this anyway, you know, um, from the first time I heard it as a kid, you know, watching the NFL, I can't remember which coach it was, but he said on, on every play, I have one guy going deep. Like, I'm going to have – if if the defense blows their coverage, I'm going to be able to take advantage of it. I'm going to have at least one guy deep down the field. And, you know, you rarely see that with Adam Gase. There's a lot of, like, no. two or three guys running to a, a sort of 10 or 15-yard square or three, four receivers, every single one of them. You know, I posted – it was just one play, but I, I posted the clip the other day. I think it was a first and 10. Um, I did see that. Yeah, four guys run out routes. Uh, yep, looks like out looks, looks like the two guys on the inside ran about four yards. The two guys on the outside went about five yards. So just uh, keeping everything inside of ten yards on a play, I, I I just I don't get it. I don't know. It, it's and I said it earlier in the year, and people will say I'm saying this because I hate Adam Gase. While I do hate Adam Gase, or sorry, I dislike Adam Gase. Um, mm-hmm. it does feel like they're trying to lose. It's like a lot of what they do is the opposite of what you do if you're trying to win. So maybe that's the case. Like maybe Ty they're Johnson, thinking, for example. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, listen, are, like, come on. You show some shred of life in your third string longest, running back. First run of time the year. You, yeah, by a running back other than the Darnold run against Denver. Of course, yeah. And then yep. he, he comes in and he sees what, I think one, one more target carry. for the rest of the game, maybe one carry. Yeah, the rest of the entire game, four snaps. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I, it reminded me, again, uh, going back a few years, the Jets were playing the Raiders. I can't remember if it was a playoff game or the week before the playoff game when they needed a win, and uh, Lamont Jordan was backing up Curtis Martin. He got one carry, and I forget which side of the 50 he was on. It was either like a – 52-yarder or 48-yarder, somewhere between that. One carry right up the gut, 50-some yards or right in that range, 50-yard touchdown run, didn't touch the ball again the rest of the game. Um, and and that's, that's what I thought of yesterday or the other day with this kid. Um, 
because I I think you saw it. I I you know I don't know much about the guy. You, you know, nope. not a name guy. Lions backup. So you know, day before the game, I go back and watch some of his games at Maryland, and I'm like, Jesus, this guy like he, he's a, he's a different style runner. The Jets haven't had a running back like this in a long time. One cut hit no. the hole. Who can accelerate? And and I think he ran a four four out of Maryland. So like I can't remember the last time they had a, a quick one cut guy who can put it you know get into an extra gear and make a big play. And and if you remember the run blocking last week wasn't that bad. So I thought to myself, if this guy no, gets they said it was few... the best all season. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought if if you get this guy some carries and the and the and the line blocks as well as they did the previous week, he might make some plays. And what did he mm-hmm. get? The carry ran for like eight yards. Gets another carry, runs for 34 yards. One more carry the rest of the day. That's it. Back to Frank Gore. Yep. Uh, I and Lamichael tired after the 34-yard run, but I mean, if, if well, you got to stick with what's working when you're 0 and 5, down points yeah. in a ball game. It's yeah. Hey, listen. You want to give a breather? You want to give a guy a breather after a 34-yard run? Fine. Uh, you want to give him a breather for a quarter and a half? Not so fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, With a half yeah, time take, and everything. Take him out for take him out for two or three plays. Um, yep. if, you know, if that. I mean, Jesus, first two carries of the year, he shouldn't be that worn out. But yeah, that that was another disaster in itself. Uh, Lamichael Pirine finally got some carries. We've all been calling for it. Uh, I got it, it's one game, but I got to say, not that impressed. It's it's one game, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying- I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm not saying cut the guy. I'm just mm-hmm. watching him thinking, and, and it could be, and I'll be honest, maybe I'm being hard on the kid because I wanted a receiver or an O-lineman in that spot, not a running back. And maybe I'm just kind of looking at him through a, a little bit of a skewed prism there where I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset that he's a running back that, that, that could have been a lineman. Um, but he, I didn't think he looked that good. I, I mean, no, I, I think I think it's fair to have that type of assessment on him, uh, especially when you go back to the draft and he was, I think, top. I know we had the three in the 120, 120 to one twenty five range, and he was in there. I think he was one twenty five. So as a one to, a top one twenty five pick in the draft, you want to see immediate production at some level. And I don't think we quite got that yet with uh, Lamichael Pirine, which I mean, it's really sad because across the field you saw Miles Gaskin, <clears throat> who was the last running back drafted last year, and he came out and looked good. So it's well, you, you know, it's, it's, you know uh, what gets, discouraging. You know what gets me? He was he was one twenty. Pirine was one twenty, but a guy that I really liked, um, and I saw someone tweet out about him last week that he made his debut and he looked dominant. I talked about him a lot pre-draft. I think I had him going to the Jets in one of my mocks. Uh, I think I had him going in around five or six because he was a small school guy or small-ish. Um, but he ended up going in round four was uh, Kevin Dotson, the guard out of Louisiana. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah, talked I about him quite a bit. Him. Yeah, and I, talk, I remember we had Emery Hunt from uh, Football Game Plan on. And I, mm-hmm. we've had Emory on a couple times. I really enjoy having him on. And I specifically want to talk to him about Dotson because I think he had the Jets taking him in like the third round, like way earlier than I thought. Um, I thought wow. he'd be sort of fifth, sixth rounder. He ends up going in round four. But I look at that and I'm like, that guy I think is going to be a beast at guard. And if they could have taken, I would have been, I would have had no problem if they went Cam Clark and then, 
you know, and had taken Dotson with the previous pick. Um, but mm-hmm. taking a, a backup running back, a third string quarterback, and a, and a, you know, instead of a, a guy who can play guard, that's 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 a tough one. So like I said, being completely honest, maybe I'm a little bit tough on P. Ryan for that reason. But I, I didn't come away, you know, feeling great about him. Uh, I think he had a drop as well in the passing game. He doesn't look to have natural hands. And yeah, he didn't look great, it, it looked didn't to look be great a little bit section. of a low pass, but. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a low pass from Flacco out in the flat, uh, his only target of the game. But, yeah, definitely one he should have uh, brought in. But, no, pass protection, that was that was absolutely terrible. He – I remember one play, I think it was actually the, the really long – the 28-yard sack that Flacco, uh, oh, gosh. And, uh, and P. Ryan actually – he, like, turned around twice just looking for his guy, just completely lost. And uh, – yeah, it wasn't a good day for him in pass protection. I want to see more from him as a runner. I think it was weird that Gore had more carries, yards, targets, catches, everything. Everything except for snaps more than him. So I'm not sure if Gase was just trying to put him out there as much as possible and see what he can do in all types of situations. Or um, I'm not quite sure what Gase was thinking exactly playing him 41 snaps after playing him zero last week. I'm sure that's got to be a little heavier of a workload than he would have expected. But at the same time, you have to be ready, especially at the running back position where you see production from anywhere, guys off the street like Ty Johnson. Yeah, and Frank Gore, uh, 11 carries for 46 yards. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, what, 25, 26 of those yards came on two carries. So really, you know, mm-hmm. you think, oh, 4.2 a carry, that. He was at around two yards a carry for, you know, nine of his 11. So, and it's not, you know, it's not like he broke two huge runs where you can live with this, with the short stuff. You know, he had a, a 14 right. and a 12, I believe, somewhere in that neighborhood um, to where the other nine carries, he was about 2.2 a carry. So not a yeah. great thing. And then similar with, similar with P. Ryan. Yeah, exactly. Right. He had the seven for 27. And then the one we talked about uh, was the 13 yard run on, with two seconds left before the half. So you cut that out and it's six for 14, which that's not good. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, you're not, uh, I don't know. You're not going to be it. But again, it, having to be fair, trying to be fair, it, stack box after stack box after stack box. They need yeah. Donald to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, they need him to hit on some yeah. big throws. And again, if Herman can get open down the field, it's, yeah, and, and, and then defenses will have to respect it. They'll have to back off. So, you know, maybe maybe they start, you know, like I said, just play some – they're not beating anybody, but, Jesus, look respectable for 10 minutes. Can we do that? Yeah. Like, is, is that – I don't know if that's too much to ask, but – I looked into the amount of workload that Frank Gore was getting this year, and I believe it was 162 total snaps this year. And he has 75 carries and nine targets. So 84 total plays where the ball came his way out of 162 snaps. So when Frank Gore's on the field, 51.8% of the time, the ball is going his way. So if I'm a defense, I'm doing exactly that, putting eight, nine in the box, testing yep. Joe Flacco's arm, seeing what receiver can create separation at the line of scrimmage and forcing us to throw the ball. And we saw this week, I mean, Gase said uh, – I think yesterday's press conference, uh, he did a lot of max protect. 
And that's just, um, especially when you're going up against corners, like we said, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, you can't have less receivers running routes against those, that secondary. You need more receivers coming across the field, getting open. So having the tight ends into block is doing more harm than good against that defense, I think. Right, right. And funny enough, just as, just as you were saying that, I, I, I <clears throat> popped uh, Sam Donald's name into Twitter just to see if anyone has said anything about his status. I haven't seen anything concrete. And um, no, just rehab. All I've seen. Yeah, just scrolling through, and uh, I saw a tweet here. again. It's PFF, which sometimes I don't know what the hell they're doing, but other times they they seem to be <laughs> in the ballpark. Uh, according to PFF, the guy that I just mentioned, Kevin Dotson, is the highest graded pass blocking interior offensive lineman in the NFL so far this year. So, there it is. so the Jets have uh, Lamichael P. Ryan. And they could have had a guy who's the highest-graded interior lineman in the NFL. I think he's only got a couple yeah, starts. And, and James Morgan. Yeah, small sample size. Um, but, man, that's uh, – I don't know. I mean, like I said, we're just talking about the Ashes, dude. It's it's like yep. um, there's not a lot, a lot of good happening. And as we know, the Jets made it official today since the paperwork could be completed – Probably my favorite jet, and I generally don't say my favorite this, favorite that with athletes. Like, like I'm, I'm not 12 years old anymore. Um, right. There, there are guys that, you know, I would say the guy who I, I respect most on the roster, uh, Steve McClendon. Yeah. Steve McClendon, I've been banging the drum for Steve McClendon for a few years now, going back as far as when it was myself and Joe Blewett. Joe and I would say all the time. Steve McClendon's the most underrated guy on the roster um, back in what Bowles' final year, I think, when we would do our studs and duds. Steve McClendon was on there every single damn week, and we just kept saying Jets fans don't appreciate him enough. Played great on the field. Great guy in the locker room. Seeing him in training camp the number of times I did where, he, you know, if things weren't going well, he'd be the first guy to tell everyone to, you know, get everyone, gather everyone around in a circle, you know, put a uh, the proverbial foot in their, in their behinds to tell them to, mm-hmm. to kind of shake the cobwebs out and, 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 you know, do your damn job. So leader captain kept his mouth shut into, you know, was it doesn't, he doesn't have a, a social media account. And I said this with all the talk about Jamal's leader, Jamal's leader. I was like, as far as I was concerned, Steve McClendon was the leader of that defense. Um, Absolutely. And he gets, he gets sent to the Tampa Bay Bucks for like a, I don't know, like the Jets send McClendon and like a 20-40 rounder, and they get back a sixth rounder in uh, like 20-39 or something. So um, just, a, just a gesture by the Jets. The Bucks needed a lineman. The Jets send them a high-character a high character guy um, who can be a leader for that team and, and, you know, be a rotational player on that D-line. And now he's got a chance to – and now, honestly, like – once Brady left the pass, like, I, I really don't care if he wins or not. But now I kind of hope he does, because if it means Steve McClendon gets a ring, you know, it's something to smile about, because that, that guy Absolutely. deserves it. Yeah, but, but yeah. That, that, that brings me to, to, to what I wanted to discuss, Dylan. And you tweeted it, out, I mm-hmm. tweeted it out earlier. Throw some names at me, Dylan. What guys on this roster could, uh, could be traded? Because I know that um, 
I know that, that you know Adam Gase. That was that was one quote that I heard from him saying that uh, you know uh, we traded Steve McClendon, but this isn't going to be a fire sale. I'm not buying it. I think if teams call, the Jets are going to listen. We've seen a couple people say that teams are calling about Quinn and Williams. Uh, I was just on NFL.com and one of the headlines. It's just a story. It's of course speculative, but I, and I think it was written by uh, David Carr of all people, saying you know these are the teams that should be calling the Jets about Sam Darnold. So there are a lot of people who feel like teams should be trying to make a move for these players. I mean, if you're the Jets, do you deal these guys? And what what can you realistic, realistically expect for a Quinn and Williams, for a Sam Donald, for a Chris Herndon, for a Brian Poole, for Marcus May, that some of these guys that have a little bit of value? Um, as far as the return value that any of these players will bring, um, I think it will all depend on – honestly how many more games the Jets keep losing because if if they keep losing there's no way that these players are going to bring back the return that they actually should I see on Twitter a lot people go back and forth on what Darnold should bring back I personally think excuse me right now that he's we're looking at a mid second late second round pick for him right now as it is he's shown not much this year so I think the more people talk about Darnold, the the better it looks for the Jets as far as the trade potential. But um, it's it's hard to judge actually what the return would be. But I think nothing, no one outside of Darnold and maybe Quinn and Williams will bring back a high value pick. So maybe day threes for everybody else, like you said, uh, Herndon, possibly Crowder, Williamson, McDougal, Griffin, Jordan Jenkins. I could see day three picks for them, maybe conditional six, but it's it's hard. It's hard when we're in this desperate of a situation to say we're going to get the full return on investment. And when you look at the Jamal Adams trade, yeah, I think people will be like, well, Joe Douglas got a lot for this guy, and he probably got a lot more than he should have for Leonard Williams with a three and a five. But we were a lot different last year and before we started playing football games this year and teams know that as well. So I think they're going to offer us low and we'll have to either settle or keep them until their contracts or until the end of the season. Yeah. I think that, I think that Darnold and I think it was Rappaport who said last week or a couple of weeks ago, Darnold might be able to get them a two. Uh, Quinn Williams is the interesting one because, as we discussed, I'm pretty sure we brought it up last week, that during his rookie year, you know, teams figured Joe Douglas didn't draft this guy. Maybe he doesn't love him. And the Jets reportedly turned down multiple big offers for Quinn and Williams last last year leading up to the trade deadline. Um, I think the fact that he's, again, he's not getting to the quarterback, but he, he is still making plays, and he is still a young guy. It's not like you're looking at him thinking – oh, here's another guy who doesn't belong in the league. Like, this is a young guy who is dominant against the run and effective against the pass um, and plenty of room, plenty of time to get better. So I think the Jets, and, and I, I see what you're saying, like if, if the Jets keep losing and teams feel like they're that much worse off and that much more willing because of the Jamal deal, I do think Joe Douglas would, I don't think he's going to take less than what he thinks a guy is worth. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens there. It would it would suck, though. Listen, they deal Darnold and Quinn and Williams. I mean, Jesus, they better get a haul. Yeah, you, you know, they really better get a haul. Say, but. You can almost never buy a Jets jersey again if they were to deal Darnold and Quinn by the deadline. I mean, it's already sad when you open up your closet and see all those jerseys hanging of 
ex-Jets, and uh, that would just be rough for for the fans. But, um, I, I mean, Quinnen probably would bring back the best in in terms of draft capital, maybe even a, a solid player in return. I mean, you look at the other D linemen that were traded in the offseason, I know they're a lot more experienced than Quinnen Williams and have a lot more to show for their careers. But Yannick Ngakwe got a two and a five, which is a conditional four from mm-hmm. the um, the Vikings. And then DeForest Buckner got a first-round pick, which was the 13th overall pick in descent to San Fran. So, I mean, it's not the, the best foundation to start because those are very high draft picks, and I don't think Quinnen could bring that back. But, I mean – a two and a five doesn't sound out of the realm of possibility. If someone really thinks that um, they can transform him, he's still young. He's ascending by all means. He's the best one on this D line. It's not even close. Um, he's not really getting to the quarterback, but you can see it. It's double teams, and I don't want to make the Leonard Williams excuse for him. But right, I think right. yeah, it, it, you do get I, I think a two and it. a five, a two and a five would be the starting point. Now, here's a question I have it, and you know, as as much as I allow this team to to drive me out of my out of my mind, drive me crazy um, with the negativity, and it 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 feels like every single thing that happens is sort of worst case scenario plays out. But I was thinking, what what could be a best case scenario for this Jets team that's probably, as we said, you know, on their way to zero and sixteen? What if? And I haven't heard anyone mention this as a possibility. If you're Joe Douglas, what if you say, you know what, let's say the Jaguars, just to throw out a right, let's say the Jaguars are offering me a two and a four for Sam. That's the best offer on the table. We're going to get Trevor Lawrence anyway. May as well do it. But what if he said, you know what, I'm going to hang on to Sam. I'm going to draft Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to bring in a decent head coach. And I'm going to let Sam, we're going to showcase him next preseason. And then maybe if he looks like the guy you expected him to be, but you still like Lawrence more because he was your number one overall pick, maybe then you're in position to say, now if you want Sam Darnold, it's two ones. Not a two and a four, not a, not, not a two and a six. But now that he looks like the guy we expected him to be. And the reason I thought of this um, – was because of the old situation with the with the Chargers when they had Drew Brees. Brees had a, had two or three not very good seasons, and then they drafted Philip Rivers, and then all of a sudden Drew Brees the light went on and he played well in Philip Rivers' rookie year. And then it was like, oh, now the Chargers have some decisions to make because Drew Brees is finally coming on, and they just tr- took this guy number one. Obviously, they chose Philip Rivers. Um, but what about that scenario, Dylan? What about if you're Joe Douglas? Are you willing to say? We're going to keep Sam and draft Trevor, showcase Sam next year under what we hope will be a competent offensive scheme, offensive coach, and drive up his price. And you know what? If if he falters and his price drops, who cares? So instead of getting a three or instead of getting a two, maybe you get a four. I feel like it's worth that gamble if it means instead of getting a two, you get a couple of ones. Yeah, I think um, if – they have the patience with Darnold and they obviously know that they will be moving on from Adam Gase, which I think at this point is 99.9% sure at the end of the season going to happen. I think that's probably the most reasonable course of action to take because 
similar to what happened when we had Teddy Bridgewater. We can showcase them in a preseason. Hopefully preseason will be back next season. And we'll get a couple games of Darnold to just see what he can do. Say, hey, I can escape the Gase uh, disasters too, just like Ryan Tannehill. And maybe he comes out and lights up a team. And, yeah, I think maybe two ones could be a reach depending on, um, you know, we'll, be ha- we'll have a quarterback in-house already to replace him. So that kind of diminishes a little bit of value. But at the same time, a one plus something, maybe a one and a two, a one and a three, a one and a two threes. I think anything like that is definitely, definitely possible if we were to keep him on board, which I personally would at this point. There's no need to trot out a Joe Flacco, Mike White, David Fales, James Morgan. None of those guys are going to show you anything uh, from the rest of the team standpoint that's going to make you say, wow, like we can keep this guy on the roster going forward. And I think Sam Darnold will give you that. Whether we win games, lose games, at this point, some fans hope we lose games. I think Darnold can come in and play well down the stretch and still lose these games, similar to the Packers his rookie year. But, no, I I definitely think keeping him on and maybe a little bit of competition in Trevor Lawrence does light a fire under him, and we get the best Sam Darnold we've seen. I mean, I think the best backup he's had in his career is, what, Josh McCown. So, I mean, him knowing that he has no backup behind him kind of gives him a little bit more confidence to say, hey, like, I'm the guy here. They're not going to replace me, and now it might give him a little bit of a kick in the butt. Yeah, and that's – I mean, there are a few different routes the Jets can take, honestly, you know. I mean, I honestly don't know how I feel. There's a part of me that thinks, man, it would be really great if if when Perriman is back and when Mims is back and when Becton is back, that Darnold comes back and plays at a high level. But if that means Adam Gase comes back, do I want that? And should I, you know, can you, if Darnold balls out, is it time to say, oh, maybe, you know, Maybe we were wrong about Gase. I don't think we are. I think he's the worst coach right. in the NFL. Absolutely. He's, he's not going to go from that to all of a sudden the guy you should keep around. But um, if Darnold plays at a high level, I, th- I feel like the, the ideal scenario is that guys get healthy, Darnold plays at a high level, despite Gase. The team realizes that they cut ties with Gase, bring in, uh, bring in somebody like Monken or David Shaw, who I've talked about. You know, there's a few other names being thrown around. Bring in mm-hmm. one of those guys. And then, then, you, then you're in position to trade that number one pick. And I, I don't want to go for – my hope is things play out that way, and then the team sitting at three wants that first pick. Move down two spots. And the quarterback the king ransom. And, and then, mm-hmm. you get, then you get Penny Sewell uh, to team with Mekhi Becton blocking for Sam Donald. To me, that's, that's the dream scenario. Like, if you said to me, if, oh, yeah. you know, if, if you could pick one way for all this to unfold, Donald balls out, Gase gets fired, you end up with the number one pick anyway because the defense is just as bad as the offense is right now. Even if Donald does ball out, they can still got to lose 35-32 every week. Um, but then you fire Gase, you bring in a respectable offensive coach, you trade down from one to three or four, you get Penny Sewell, and you go from there with your with your trove of draft picks. Um, do you do you see a scenario playing out where Sam Darnold plays very well down the stretch, and they happen to steal a couple games, whether it's two or three? And we've seen other teams this year. You know, uh, the Giants, 
the Jaguars, the the Falcons, they're all competing for the number one spot as well. Do you see us possibly stealing a couple games if Sam Darnold's back and we're healthy enough as a complete team to not end up with the first pick and kind of be screwed and not necessarily have a choice or an option with Sam Darnold and have to keep him? Well, I mean, that is a possibility, and it's, it is one reason. It's probably the best case that you can make for not trading Sam Darnold right now because that there is that risk. Um, and I mean, I know you're saying that Darnold wins games, but um, even if he didn't, you know, even if let's say, let's say Flacco wins a game or two, at, you know, falls into, I mean, that's barring another Darnold injury. I think we've seen all we're going to see from Flacco for this year. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they, if you win a couple games and you're no longer in position to take a quarterback, you have to keep Darnold. Darnold is still a better prospect than, the guys behind Lawrence and in, in, in my mind anyway. So then you keep Sam Yeah. and I don't know. I, I, I don't hate the idea of keeping Sam around. I do think he's a really good player, but um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think he can be a really good player. I think again, he's just got this, uh, he's in this terrible situation and the situation is so bad. This was the, the next thing I wanted to touch on uh, Dylan that we've now seen uh, lifelong, although n- not 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 the best of Jets fans, but uh, lifelong Jets fan Mike Greenberg of ESPN, um, and now former NFL wide receiver Roddy White, former Clemson product Roddy White, and I forget who else. Someone in Sports Illustrated the other day, I forget the writer, all saying, you know, sort of commenting publicly to Trevor Lawrence, saying don't come out if the Jets get the number one pick. Don't do this to yourself. Stay in college. What do you do in that scenario? What do you do if you're the Jets? I mean, I, I, I would say uh, you take him at one it, it, and you, you let him pick the damn coach. Who, who do you want? Yeah. What, what coach do we have to bring in here? Or maybe not give him that much power, but you, pick, you take your top three candidates and say you pick between these three guys. Like, that's how badly we want you here. You don't want this to be another Peyton Manning situation where Bill Parcells screwed it up by not promising Manning the Jets would take him. You tell him you're taking him, you promise you're taking him, and you let him have a say in which coach comes in and, and continues to develop him from this point forward. Um, but, but what are your feelings on that? I mean, not, not, we're not talking just random people. This is Mike Greenberg, a lifelong Jets fan. Who I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Greenberg, but he's still – He's a personality. He's out there. He's got an audience. He's got a platform. Um, Roddy White and Sports Illustrated all telling Trevor Lawrence, don't come out if the Jets have the top pick. It's it's hard to say what I would do from the Jets' standpoint, but I think if I was Trevor Lawrence, at least, I'd put all those on mute, especially Greenberg. I mean, he's a Jets fan, so to say that and – to actually believe that if he does is um, another thing because I don't, I don't think anybody expects Gase to be back next year. And I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is even considering this in the back of his mind even, but I would even assume he would know Adam Gase is not coming back next year. So I don't know how early we can start talking to prospects. Um, But I would just, as soon as you start talking to Trevor Lawrence, yeah, I would say, Hey, who have you been looking at as a coach that you would want us to bring in that you're maybe familiar with or you're comfortable with in his system that we can really start to develop you if 
we are going to take you at number one and give him a little bit of confidence. Now, I don't know if the team has the resources to even do that from this point, because maybe Woody Johnson gets too involved and says, Hey, he's our guy, no matter what. And I'm going to pick the coach again or have too much say in the coach's decision. But um, no, I've Mike Greenberg. I would throw that all out if I was Trevor Lawrence and uh, just playing well and, hope that whoever does end up with the first pick does have a good coach that will develop him because I think that's what all Jets fans are hoping for, whether we have Lawrence or Darnold, is that we get a coach in here that will actually show life in an offense and make it work. Yeah, and this is uh, non-Jets related, but um, we mentioned this briefly before. Just wanted to throw this out there. Um, For those of you who haven't seen the Dallas Cowboys – uh, they're six weeks into the Mike McCarthy era, and it's it's already worse than the Adam Gase era with the Jets. Uh, Dallas Cowboys players coming out and saying uh, they feel totally unprepared. They don't teach us anything. No sense of adjusting. They are not good at their jobs. Um, I mean, that's that's you don't see coaches get condemned that harshly and openly, uh, anonymous or not. You're you're leaking that stuff to the media. And again, not a Jets note, but for those, because I know there were a lot of folks, I've had a conversation with a lot of people, you know, how, how dumb the Jets were not to get McCarthy because he oh, had a Super Bowl ring. McCarthy big time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the shame of it and is it, that they did worse. Like they, the, the two worst yeah, guys they could have hired. We, I think you and I both knew that McCarthy was low on our list of coaches that we wanted in here to run the team. And, uh, he was still light years ahead of Adam Gase. I think we could pencil in a few janitors around MetLife Stadium we could want before Adam Gase. So, yeah, yeah. It's D- just Dallas been, um... is in a Dallas in a situation, but they're two and four, and they still have a chance in the division. But yeah, yeah no, I mean, it doesn't that, look somebody, good so far for them. <laughs> somebody might win that division with four wins. That's uh, that's pretty yeah, crazy. Exactly. I, you I gotta hope saw the Giants it. win against the Eagles on Thursday. That'll help the Jets. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw a couple people tweet that uh, Dallas should be uh, picking up the phone to call the Dolphins and bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick would be good enough to win the division with that team. Um, oh, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I think I think, so. I think their biggest issue uh, is defense. You know, they're they're giving up a ton of points too. But yeah, anyway, but... that's enough. That's enough about yep. them. Like I said, non-Jets related, but Jets related in the sense that that was a name that was thrown around. Um, Glad we missed on McCarthy, but also less glad that we made the yeah. the, the higher of that. Like they didn't screw so. up, but they didn't do well either. So it's almost like, you know, exactly. it's, it's kind of a, a, you know, a moot point, so to speak. Um, so we've talked about trade possibilities. Uh, we didn't, I don't know if we specifically ta- talked about Marcus May um, and what no. he might bring. And, and I'm sorry if you did. Yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't sure you mentioned him. Um, final year of his deal. But we didn't see him around the line of scrimmage as much this week as we had the previous uh, weeks, and probably one of his better games uh, this Sunday against the Dolphins. So, do you think that Marcus May is a guy? Because really, I mean, get Ashton Davis on the damn field again. Season's over. If you can I'm get to see him as a gunner, that's yeah, yeah. If you can get a a five or a, a six or whatever for Marcus May, just get picks at this point. Get picks. Your season is over bunch of guys that are leaving um let's try to get some rookies on the field like i said i've not heard anything on the anticipated return of jabari zuniga or i should say anticipated debut of jabari zuniga Mm -hmm. 
But as much as this team's pass rush is lacking, um, that's something that needs to happen, which, which brings, up, brings me to another thing I wanted to mention. How in the world does Bryce Huff only get six reps? Um, got his first NFL sack. He has shown flashes off the edge for a team that is going nowhere and can't get to the quarterback, and he only gets six reps. What I mean, him, John Franklin Myers, Quinn and Williams, these guys actually look decent on Sunday. And I think these are the these are the guys, especially when you're playing as poorly as the Jets are, um, and you know, again both offense and defense. But I'm curious as to how I so lost my train of thought there. So I'm, I'm I was going to look it up right now. I'm curious as to how often Quinn and Williams was on the field the other day because I know I raised that point a few weeks weeks ago in terms of what percentage of snaps he's playing, and um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that percentage has gone up. But I'm gonna. <clears throat> Yeah, not really. I was going well, to say 36 against Miami was his second lowest of the season from a game-to-game standpoint. He had 33 against the Colts, but, yeah, 36 right. but, total snaps but it, for him. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's only 36, but because they they played so so little defense, um, he was, yep. that was 64% of the snaps, which is his third highest total for the year. But, you know, I look at – you know, I'm not saying the guy's Aaron Donald, but I look at Aaron Donald – that dude plays 80, 85, 90% of the snaps. Um, you don't take him off the field. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't get why, you know, why we see him come off the field as much as we do. And, I, you know, I wonder if that's another thing teams are looking at who might be wanting to trade for Quinn and Williams and go, look, those are the numbers he's putting up with the Jets. But if we get him, he's staying on the damn field. So we're expecting bigger yeah, and better. Yeah, it's going to go. That. His percentage is going to go way up from, what, 64%, like you just said. It's going to be, yeah. 78 to 83% of the defensive snaps for whatever team he goes to. And we're really going to see a full development from him. We'll see him learn all different types of pass rush moves, not just certain situations where they're using him. And I mean, hopefully the the trade of McClendon opens up more for him there and you want to see that number go up, but McClendon's not occupying enough snaps to, really divvy up amongst other players. I mean, he played 24 against the Dolphins. So you got to figure you got to split that up between possibly Nathan Shepard coming back into the fold. Um, Fadu Kasi, maybe Kyle Phillips gets more involved, Jonathan Franklin Myers, but like, it's going to be hard to just split the reps left from McClendon up by the young guys, I think. Yeah, I think the, um, I think <clears throat> One name that's that's interesting is uh, Tanzel Smart, who's a guy. He's on the practice squad, and I believe I would have to look at the years, the time frames. Excuse me. I would have to look. I believe Greg Williams had him in in uh, L.A. with the Rams, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay. He played played 16 games a couple of years ago. Big guy. Um, I mean, not nose tackle big, sort of 295, 300, and he's a guy that w- with. Uh, we haven't seen who's going to take McClendon's spot on the roster yet, but I'm curious to see if Smart is the guy who gets that. And I mean, listen, Austin Henry Anderson get the call up over Shepard. Yeah, I mean Henry Anderson at this point. I mean, come on, uh, geez, this guy. Yeah. He's away guy, nine million dollars. Nine million dollars. He's got four tackles, no sacks. Four solo tackles. Playing 145 snaps. Luckily, the snap count has been decreasing but he's in the high teens now but I mean it's just bad and I feel like um, 
the snaps that he was getting weeks one and two, I'm pretty sure he was the culprit on a few of those late antic games, uh, the, the unsportsmanlike calls that was him and I believe Basham. So it's like you're not really producing anything for the team from a stats perspective or a field position perspective if you're just giving them free yards. Yeah, I mean, he's got definitely got more personal fouls than sacks. He's got no sacks. And, yeah, uh, maybe even more than have... tackles at this point. <laughs> I don't, not a good, that's not, not, a good, I mean. not a good look. No, four <laughs> solo tackles. And it's a shame. I mean, he's a guy. It's a matter of, was it, is it, was it the system? Because he really did look like he was going to be an impact player. His first year here, three, four interior linemen, six, seven sacks. Mm-hmm. That's, not something, that's not something you see every day. Those are really good numbers. Um, had a bunch of pressures. So you felt like, all right, he's, you know, let's, let's keep some of these good players under, under contract and, and build around them. And then he just kind of disappeared um, ever since signing that deal. It's been pretty terrible. Yeah, he didn't even look explosive on the film that I went back and watched earlier today. So I, I think at this point you might as well sit him on the bench, maybe put um, Kyle Phillips in, in that position a little bit more. I know he's a little bit oversized. I consider him more of an outside linebacker slash DN, but I think if you replace his reps with him and then you have Quinnen and another D tackle, maybe Fadu Kasi, and then you have Jordan Jenkins, and definitely way more Bryce Huff out on the other side on the edge. I mean, I, I would like, I would I would like to see that defensive front. If you saw, yeah, if we saw significantly <laughs> increased reps for Quinnen Williams, John Franklin Myers, Kyle Phillips, Bryce Huff, um, young, young guys, plenty of gas in the tank, want to get after it, Foley Fadakasi, I would venture to guess you'd see better results. From this oh, defense, yeah. uh, less Henry Anderson, and listen, I've I've been a Jordan Jenkins guy for years, but it's the end of the road for him with the Jets. He's yeah, not playing he's very not well this year. Yeah, one year deal. He's probably gone. He six tackles, one sack. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's a shame. And he, and he you know, he had a a foolish penalty the other day on the, you know. Uh, hit Fitzpatrick yep. in the head with his forearm on as he yeah, went yeah. to the ground. Which is a weekly occurrence at this point. And sometimes we're in striking range where we can still, you know, manage something at 7 nothing or 10 nothing, And you just do that on a critical third down. And it doesn't seem so critical, but those are the plays that ruin the game. I mean, it's just, you give yourself no chance if you're given free yards multiple times a game. Yeah, it's. I mean, the penalties. It's just gotten. It's gotten so old. You know, it's. I grew um, up. We were the least penalized team in the league under Herman Edwards. So that was always the uh, the standard that I like to hold the team to. At least, I mean, this is this is the complete opposite of a Herman Edwards led team as far as discipline and penalties. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it'd be nice to get to that point. And a lot of it, too, is the timing of penalties. I remember a few years ago, one of the years the Pats went to the Super Bowl. They were, like, third third to last in the NFL. They, like, went third worst in the NFL in penalties. Um, but obviously, it might have been the Seattle year, because I think Seattle and the Patriots were two of the worst teams in the league in terms of penalties. But they still won, you know, what, 12, 13 games. You know, there are back-breaking penalties, and there are smart penalties. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to grab right. this guy so he doesn't kill my quarterback. Or I'm going to grab this receiver because I know he's got me beat. And if I don't get a hand yep. on him, it's going to be a 58-yard touchdown. I'd rather it be a 25-yard penalty. 
uh, that type of stuff. I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if you follow Warren Sharp on Twitter at Sharp Football, but he posted um, a thread of Mike Vrabel calling. Uh, he sent an extra 12th man on the field on purpose in a second and one situation with three and a half minutes left in the fourth, knowing that they were going to get a penalty. I saw but that. It was going to stop great. the clock. And then, yeah, they get a new set of downs, they end up stopping them, they go back, they score with four seconds left in the game. So it's like you have to understand when and where to commit a penalty, like you said, grabbing somebody and not giving up the long pass. Or it's just we do it at the worst times when we're shooting ourselves in the foot over and over. We'll take a big stack on top of a holding and then we're out of field goal range or whatever it is. And it's just it's it's the timing of it that makes it worse than – the numbers actually dictate, which are still bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they, uh, the other, the other player I wanted to mention, we've mentioned him a few times now as well um, over the, over the, the, the past few weeks, but not a, not a name I've seen again, came off IR, um, but nothing on Cam Clark because I'll tell you what made me think of Cam Clark. I don't know if you saw the play where, uh, where, Alex Lewis got blown up on an eight yard, eight yard, a sack for eight yard loss um, inside the 20 yard mm-hmm. line. And listen, Alex Lewis isn't a bad player, but as I've said, and I, I'll keep saying it, it's, it's time for the kids to play. Um, normally, yep. you know, normally it's time for the kids to play week 10, 11, 12. Uh, you know, when you can really mm-hmm. say, you know, you're out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year you could have gone with the kids from week two or three that didn't happen. Uh, but I know that, what is his? Let's see. I'm trying to find when Rich, Rich Samini tweeted out on the 14th of October. Um, Jets designated Mims, Mollett, and Clark for return. They have a 21-day window. Okay. So I guess 21 days to put them on the roster yeah. or not. And that was October 14th. So uh, if my math so, like, is November right, 6th. that means uh, I know that would be October 35th, Dylan. Uh, you're wrong on that. So, yeah. Um, something, something like that. I'm, I've just done the math. It's October 35th. So yeah. Mims, Mollette, you know, those guys I would love will be to back. Clark. Yeah. yeah same here. Clark mainly take over for Greg Van Roten. If, if, uh, at all on the guard. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I, gotta, I don't mean, I, don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I got to cut you off Dylan. I don't know. Have we been talking that long? Holy cow. Yeah, it's been about an hour. Yep. Dude, I th- I'm just rolling here. I thought we were like 35 minutes in, and I just got the 90-second warning. Holy cow. So, um, all right, uh, quick score quick score prediction for this week against the Bills. Um, um, what do you, you got? You go first. I'll, I'll have to think on that. You go first. That's- uh, let's see. The Bills are going to be upset. They just lost to the Chiefs. I'm going to say uh, – uh, 43 nothing, Buffalo. What do you got? Well, I'm not going to go that, that far, but uh, I know Josh Allen definitely doesn't like our defense at this point. So I'm going to, I'm going to go 31 to 31 to six. We're going to get two Sam Fick and redemption. Six on the board. Look at this, an offensive explosion for the Jets on Sunday, according to Dylan. All right. Well, that's it for us folks. Wow. That went quick. I heard the 92nd warning. We're down to 10 seconds. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, tune in again next week as we continue to uh, describe the ashes, but hopefully talk about some improvement for some young players. Have a good night, Jets fans. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets! She it's funny, she didn't mess it up after I left it. Yeah. She literally the phone rang her calling as the door clicked and it got flat. She's like <laughs> Yeah, so I picked up and I was like I said, Yeah, I think she probably got a fucking and can't stand back on she got like I I I wanted to give her some good news, so I said, Oh, we talked earlier. She said that she took her son out of your house, but I, I just don't think he's going on the train yet. I explained it all the back then. But yeah, I told I said we didn't need enough like a type thing because we did, I, I told her. I said um I said we I no I said we bought it weeks ago but we didn't know how many households we authorized and, and I, I I played it down. I, I said it's not gonna be robots last year, it's not gonna be a bouncy castle, it's not gonna be slides. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, it would really be. And I told her, and I, and I said, it, I said it's a time slot. And so I told her, I, I said, I think they have the dog if you ask, but that's it. So, yeah. I don't know how they're supposed to swing that. I guess just walking and wearing. <coughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh, the MCU. What? They can't, we can't go straight to the parking hatch because I said I would paint their faces. Mm. So. Oh, yeah. Would it paint their faces at my mom's house then? No. I'd rather do it here. Yeah. And what time were we going to pick them up from there? Well, no, because we said we could go out on Saturday night, didn't we? Because I'm um, picking them up on Sunday. Because the thing. And that, she probably would like that more because she'd get more time with them. I think that they'd be reticent to do it on uh, to, to go out on Saturday night. Because we thought we'd definitely not do it for my dad's in the closet. And we like it. Right. Um, okay, so that's how it's to be. I don't know. I'll Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm
and looks like they've been selling for a while. They sold a few layers on extra holes. Um, so they probably have just a set way of doing it, and we didn't realize basically there's a, a thing on extra home where you pay the deposit to extra home and they keep it in escrow until you see the dog. Um, and they said they didn't want to do that. So we go, that's suspicious. Why didn't you want to do that? Um, but then we realized that's like a brand new feature. So people who have been selling for a while have never done that and they don't want to start doing it. And then we go to other sellers and there were several other sellers the same thing. They're like, no, we, we want the cash. We don't want it in escrow. So you're like, all right. So that's not quite as suspicious. But just to kind of put us at ease, um, even though we're like, well, the point we were involved. We went back and forth a couple of times. Their responses weren't unreasonable. You know, they, there was nothing suspicious about their responses, or we would have been like, okay. Um, but we said, look, how about this? Instead of us just wiring you the deposit, can we drive down and just have a look at the dog? And Pay you and pay you the deposit when we look at it. And they said, yeah, they said, look, as long as you understand you can't touch it because it's too young, then you're not, you're welcome to come take a look. And it's the closest we found when we fell over in King's Room, so they're an hour away. We were expecting to hear that this week from some sellers who were like, I don't know, three, four hours away, but they, they, they we've been in touch with them for weeks because their dog hasn't even delivered yet. But I think we got such a bit very early, so we had a chance to be on their list. But if we can do one hour drive instead of three hours, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna drop the kids. Sorry. Yeah, we're gonna drop the kids off at school, um, and then come back here probably you know, not long after we're gonna drive down there. Things going to have a look dogs, and then, uh, <clears throat> and, and actually, they go to the commissary, so I'll get, I'll try to get your stuff. Um, yeah, um, we're going to get like firewood and stuff. But, uh, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. I think they do. If not, they have a very similar sort of. A, I, I think I think we got them once. I think they have them. <coughs> right. Yeah. I'll take a look. I'm, I'm quite sure they have. Yeah. All right, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. I was just calling to let you know that, that you'll have some Saturday. Um, it'll be, well, it'll be after the, because I think it'll be the Yeah, so it'll be after that. Um, so hopefully I can see you both at 11. I forget how long we're driving it out there. 30 minutes? Well, but figure late, late afternoon, early evening, we'll have them for you. Of course, yeah. Of course. All right, love you. Bye bye.
Thank <laughs> you. 